0: hello gang what is up so it is absolutely downpouring of snow in london ontario right now i think the u.s is being nailed and i hope your holidays are fantastic Uh, this isn't really going to be a holiday episode but i thought i'd acknowledge it (laughs) let's get into this so We are today going to discuss a book called Letting Go by David Hawkins, and if I fly through it, we'll get right to another one, but we'll see where it goes. Now, as I make these podcasts, I'm just going to get better and better, right? Don't mind the background music here. My goodness, i got to turn this down. There we go. That's better. That's better. Now you can hear me. So The more I make these podcasts, the better they will become. I I saw this amazing video and it was discussing two groups of people. One group was told to make a pot as perfect as possible in a month. The second group was told to make 30 pots in a month. The group that made 30 pots in a month ended up actually making a better looking pot than the one group who had to make a perfect pot. What does this say? This says that practice makes perfect. This says that you're going to mess up the first 20 times, but the last 10 pots are going to be better than the person just meticulously working on the one. So use this metaphor in life. Go in knowing you'll fail at first. Like I'm making these podcasts knowing they're going to be trash at first, and no one's going to listen to this. This is literally just practice. But hey, maybe in a year or two, people are listening. We'll see. We will see. I am on pot number two. Anyways, wow, that is good. That fires me right up. I'll tell you that much. Got to close this door. I don't want the echo. The first tidbit I got from Letting Go by David Hawkins is... Those who can never let things go do not feel fulfilled. You must let go and look forward to seek fulfillment, apparently. You gotta let go and you will seek fulfillment. I don't know how I feel about that. How do you feel about that? That's the real question. There's a quote here. It is people's beliefs that they can't let go. That is... Wow, that is a hard fact. That is a truth. When someone truly believes something, you cannot convince them otherwise. Imagine if someone came in right now and told me that this is not a house; this is a car I live in. I would say, no, 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 no. But I believe it's a house. Like we've all agreed to these beliefs, and it's true. People can't let go of beliefs. You know, let's take something not as ludicrous, but that a person says you know, you are terrible at art. If that's been a belief, they can't let that go. They're not going to start producing art or good art because that's a belief that is so ingrained, they won't let it go. So there's another thing here. Oh, and actually, I think I, I commented on that quote. Their past is going to dictate who they become. I thought about the subconscious and the theory that what we believe is also how we see our inner and outer world. Yes, our past. i, don't, I See, I would disagree with myself from a year ago. Our past isn't going to dictate who we become. It could, but it's not a fact. Now, I like this. Our subconscious and the theory that what we believe is also how we see our inner and outer world inner world being our imagination. Yes, so I can see how the past being our outer world, like that shapes our inner world, which then shapes our future outer world again. But even then, that's a stretch. And people, the inner versus outer world thing, that is simply that our inner world meaning our thoughts, fantasies, imagination, everything in our head is created because of the outer world. Everything, all the info in in the world that we've taken in, that's the outer world, has shaped our own organic thoughts, fantasies, and concepts. But it's a paradox because our organic thoughts, fantasies, and concepts have shaped the outer world for other people's inner worlds to be shaped. So like the belief that this is a house and that there are roads we drive on and the belief that my hair is called hair, like that is because someone else's inner world thought that and they put that into the outer world for me to believe. And the cycle is always continuing. That's really trippy, but it's a philosophical concept I really dig. An analogy would be someone who grows up in the projects and creates a self-fulfilling prophecy that they won't leave because it's almost impossible. Oh, okay. I see why now I said their past dictates who they become because, okay. Yeah. Okay. If someone's beliefs are so ingrained from the past, then that will dictate their future. Like for example, that kid in the projects who thinks they will never get out. That is a true belief. There's not even the slightest bit of, I could get out. And then that creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. They've not let go of their past and not changed their identity. Yes, you have to change the identity. That's huge. That is huge. And, and that blew my mind when I first learned about that a year ago, all the identity stuff. But now it's pretty much common sense. Uh, so dive into identity, folks. The book talks about a scenario in which a person believes change after a conversation because they didn't realize that someone could see the world a certain way or use linguistics and tonality a certain way. Oh, I like this. I remember this. So this concept is just, again, a little bit of a motivator to be that person. That's a little different. For example, we've all talked to somebody and gone, holy shit. I love the way they think and talk. Like to the point where it really affected you. (laughs) Be that person. And that's what this book talks about. Be that person. And I love that. That's why I'm not afraid anymore. I, I skip right past shooting the shit. And I get right into people's passions and interests right away and then find common interests and ask questions. I I like to learn from people. So I try to learn from someone once I find what they're interested in. So this is similar. This is what I wrote. This is similar to when kids learn about Santa. Their world literally changes. Be a person to change other people's world because of your charisma, body language, tonality, etc. A.K.A. your energy. Really, it's your energy. It talks about how we all know someone who changes the energy in the room when they walk in. be that person. The book mentions be careful when you say I disagree. It can be narrow minded. I'm not saying you have to take on everyone's ideologies and philosophies, but be open to their angle and I love this actually. I've talked to other people now I use a saying called Understand but don't agree and and because let's say, let's use something radical like racism. Let's say someone's extremely racist. I can understand, but I can still disagree. And you're going to think, Zev, well, if you understand, that means you're justifying their racism. Maybe. But listen to this. Imagine if you grew up in a small town or even a household where all you heard was racism. I can understand how that person would be racist. But I disagree with the opinion. See what I mean? And that's why now I really, really try to seek understanding and I shape an opinion that way. I I completely, what's the word? I've reframed. Yeah, I've reframed debates and stuff. And people actually sometimes get frustrated and taken back when I say things like this. I'll nod my head and go, okay, yeah, I understand. I understand, but I still disagree. And they go, "How, how can you understand but not agree? Because I can. (laughs) This comes back to a talk on the golden rule. When they say all truths are half-truths. Oh, and the golden rule was a video I watched. And the golden rule is do upon others what you would do to yourself. But there's a thing in there and it was all truths are half-truths. I absolutely love that. Because it means that every truth has a scenario that could make it untrue. Now it's funny because after I learned this, I ended up talking about this with a friend and it itself is a paradox and I'll tell you how. To say all truths are half-truths makes that statement a truth (laughs) and you can see where I'm going with this. So technically there is a scenario where something could be a full truth, but that is contradictory to the statement itself. But then to say it's contradictory is also a half-truth. So there could be a moment where all truths are half-truths and it just never ends. That's the paradox part about it. But anyways, I really do like it. It makes you think that everything you hear, is like, okay, is there a scenario where this could be false? And then it again gives you more perspective and wisdom. Let's see what we got next here. So there was a great point in the book here. He mentions the words, I can't, usually mean I won't. There's something a person is prioritizing instead. Does that priority line up with your goals and principles is the real question. And I love this. You're going to hear this now. And that's called a mental model and and priming in the book, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Priming is when you talk about a Volkswagen and you start seeing Volkswagens everywhere. And you've probably had this happen when you learn something in school And you start to see what you've learned everywhere. It pops up everywhere. So this as well, you're going to hear folks say, I can't very often. And don't be arrogant about it or disrespectful. Don't tell them like, oh, you really mean I won't. But that it means they are prioritizing something else. And that is okay. But I really like that because then you're going to start hearing yourself say, I can't. And you go, okay. Where where are my priorities? Because I was going to say, and I love that I wrote this at the end, does that priority line up with your goals and principles? Everything in life should be lining up with your goals and principles. And I, this is a really great reminder, actually, because lately, I've sometimes I get off track for a few minutes and I have to snap back. In. I hate that I even get off track for a few minutes. I hate that. I wish I could just be a robot and never get off track, but we are humans. So every time you say, I can't, think if that priority lines up with your goals and principles. And first, shape what your goals and principles are. You got to do that right now. Otherwise, you are leading, li- living a life in a maze, lost. <laughs> so he says that I can't is a cover-up. And I won't is too brutal for people's fragile minds. Yeah, that is so, so true. Imagine if forever, you just instead of saying, I can't make it to that hangout, you said, Ah, sorry, I won't make it to the hangout. Wait, well, can you and you're gonna say I could, but I'm not going to, because my priorities are so and so like that would, for most people, they're too fragile, like their ego is on the line. If you said something like that. That is so funny. I I never, I'm so glad I'm bringing up these notes. Again, That's such a good point. Whereas a person who isn't fragile is going to Take everything and analyze it and just go, okay, what's my ego saying? Oh, okay, okay, I, I blah, 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 blah. And they're going to talk to themselves. That's so cool. To recognize we're making a subconscious choice is uneasy, but we need discomfort to grow as a person. That's hmm, I don't know how to break that down. To recognize we're making a subconscious choice is uneasy. But we need to, need discomfort to grow. Yeah, okay, so those are like two separate things. Yes, we need discomfort to grow. That's very true. I'm a very big proponent on that. But to recognize we're making a subconscious choice is uneasy. Oh, oh, like it, okay. It doesn't necessarily feel all too good to be making these choices to what is a priority uh, subconsciously. I see. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's not easy for the fragility aspect. So if you ever wonder how we can change that self-dialogue, David Hawkins recommends surrounding yourself with people that think about their present situation. Very easier said than done, but it's so true. This comes back to the famous saying, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And it's true. I guess if you find people that think about their present situation, you're going to have better self-dialogue. Simply because it comes back to a book called How to Talk to Yourself, No, What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Dr. Helmstetter. Great. Oh my God, that changed my life. And it comes back to the information you take in is what changes your subconscious programming, which is what changes your beliefs. And so, for example, that person that wants to change their self-dialogue, you have to surround yourself with people that think about their present situation because that is information coming in technically speaking that information will change your subconscious which is what changes your self dialogue boom simple this relates back to choosing information that will program your subconscious in line with you go see there you go see i clearly read that book before this one and yeah that makes sense He poses that the next time we find ourselves saying, I can't, to try saying, I won't, and then unpack that. Why? You know what I mean? Really good. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Just unpack it. Say that and unpack it. So if we start saying, I can, because because we change our self-talk, the next barrier to come is fear. If we only think about fear, it will manifest and show up. So how do we fix this? Apparently, we need to reframe fear. We have to start seeing it as an, as an opportunity. I like that. Um, I'm just reading this over because... Yeah, okay. So instead of saying I can't, because that's a fear-based thing, the book states, you know, try saying I can. I see. And, and it's a good point. Like, if, you, if all you're thinking about, there's a saying... What you think about you focus on. So if you're thinking about fear all the time, you are going to focus on things that induce fear or that are fearful instead of thinking about opportunity. So, okay, I like this because when you think about fear as an opportunity, right? Because David Goggins says that taking action is what kills fear and success is usually the outcome of taking action. So we seek out fear. So that's where you can start seeing fear as an opportunity to take action and succeed so really when you go down the ripple effect you could see fear as opportunity it's the opportunity to succeed when you reframe it like that you will manifest the opportunity it's going to start popping up in life tons of opportunities taking action is how you conquer your, blah 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 yep that's exactly what we talked about wow how long are these notes Let's keep going, people. There's a quote. People are too hard on themselves. <laughs> wow, I actually wrote a lot after that. That must have really resonated that day. And I said I kind of disagree. I think some folks hear that and they dismiss the lack of accountability. Okay, see, I was hard as shit after reading David Goggins. And this this clearly that popped right up on the page here. If something is in your control, I think a person should be hard on themselves. If something isn't in your control, don't be hard. Oh, see, I couldn't agree more. I like that. I really like that. Things that are in in your control, be hard on yourself. Be accountable, diligent, resilient, persevere, and persistent. When things are out of your control, be a stoic about it. Just brush it off. It's so true. And I thought about all the mistakes I've made where other people were upset. Most would see this as something I can control. However... I can control my actions, not someone else's emotions. That's the mind blowing thing. Because for example, here's some backstory. I had messed up a deal at work. I had given someone way too much money off. And so when I asked for them to pay full price, because it was just my math was wrong, they didn't want to, clearly. So, you know, my boss was a little upset because he lost a potential client and then I lost potential clients and money for the business, blah, blah, blah. And at first I was hard on myself thinking that is something I can control. I could control that. But so yes, on that end, but on another end of that spectrum, I could not control the emotions from my boss, the emotions from the client because it got a little messy. Those emotions you cannot control. So I'm not going to be hard on myself for them being upset at me. I'm going to be hard on myself for, the actual technical mistake I made and that like, I would never have that happen again. The emotions I brush off, I brush off their emotions. Um, I think I put it here, but I'm, I'm probably reading my own mind. Yeah. See these people are going to think that way regardless. It could have been the trash not going out that day. It could have been what I did regardless. They're an unhappy person. And they were going to act that way no matter what. And I can't control their emotions. Like, that is them. I couldn't just tell them. You know, I literally, it's out of my control. I don't have a remote control to make them happy. Like I told you, it could have been anything. It just so happened to be my mistake that triggered that. And that's that. So anytime someone gets mad at you, think about, okay, what did I do that I could get better at? They were going to get mad no matter what because that is baggage from the past. That's their fear, their insecurity. All the root causes to anger. Because anger is often a substitute of emo- emotion. Keep that in mind. Let's see what we got here. So therefore, never let other people's behavior change you because that's out of your control. Again, these are all half-truths. Yeah, and then I came back to the whole half-truth. Like, Alright, there's probably a scenario where maybe emotion is on you. But not in my scenario, so whatever. If you were hard on yourself for other people's reactions to your mistake, that goes against positive self-talk a.k.a. your subconscious programming that aligns with your goals. I like that too. So yeah, being hard on yourself literally does change your subconscious programming. Positive self-talk is key for believing that you can succeed. And in that book, What to Say When You're Talking to Yourself, there's this whole, I guess, ladder of of, uh, events. Like it's a big ripple effect where your beliefs affect Your attitude and attitudes affect your, I want to say, yeah, feelings. Attitudes affect feelings. Your feelings affect your behavior. And then obviously how you behave affects your outcomes. The outcome being success or whatever that is to you, it starts with positive self-talk because that's how you subconsciously program yourself to believe things that will end up creating an outcome for success. It's trippy, but just hang in there. Hang Oh wow, too much talking, too much thinking, I can't even speak. Just, uh, yeah, hang in there with me. So saying, quote, I can't make them mad again versus I'm going to start double checking quotes with my boss. One is manifesting fear by saying I can't make them mad again. You're going to seek out things that are making people mad. Or you're going to realize when people are mad because you've, you're have you thinking about it. That's So you're focusing on mad people. <laughs> whereas if you focus on I'm going to start double checking quotes with my boss now you only see the times where you're double checking quotes and that's what you're focusing on is double checking those quotes and you know that one like I said there one's manifesting fear the second in respective order is manifesting positive change that will get you closer to your goals. Because to make people not mad again doesn't get you closer to your goals. So that, there's a mental model called inverse thinking, and that's what that is. Like Inverse thinking is be wrong less versus be right more. Or another way to inversely think would be eat healthier food versus cut unhealthy food. See, one is manifesting one thing, one is manifesting another. One's negative, one's usually positive. I said here, plus, that person will probably always act that way because of baggage and pre- previous uh, programming. Yep, bingo. I put here, mind-blown, colon, when we get angry at someone, we're wanting them to act a certain way. That, yes, I remember this, it's actually to my day, to my, I cannot speak English today. To this day, I, I hold on to this belief. It is so true, and you're going to see this pop up everywhere. So we have no control on how others act. Believe it or not, we trick ourselves into thinking that. So we want a person to act a certain way because we think they can make us happier in some way deep down. We have everything we need inside of us. This is what David Hawkins said in the book. And I love this so much. Like we decide whether others make us happy, period. It's in our head. It's, it's a fault in your mindset that makes you feel anger. comes right back to the stages of programming. You're letting beliefs change your attitude because somewhere along the line, you took in info saying that others must make you happy, that it's in their control to make you happy. Jordan Peterson even said, we need to be our own best friend. And so I love this because the next time people lash out, just think, and, and let's use an example like dishes, some, they lash out, you know, why didn't you do the dishes? They are expecting you to make them happy by doing the dishes. Now, this is where it gets radical. Because technically, if they want to be happier, it's in their control. They can either move out of the house <laughs> and live somewhere where they have someone doing the dishes and that would make them happier. See, it's it, technically speaking, it's in their control. Now, why don't people actually pull the trigger on this stuff? Compromise. Clearly that person likes living with you so much or it's benefiting them in such a way that they can let the dishes go because of all the benefits of the other things. Look at everything like this. The next time something happens, you go, oh, I'm angry at that person. Think, wait, you're only angry at them because you expected them to make you happy. How can you make yourself happy? What do you have to do to make that scenario better? There's always a way. And sometimes it's a hard truth that hurts. Like to move out of a house because of dishes. Like technically if the pain of the dishes makes you that angry, you know, that is how you solve the problem. But anyways, I'll let that resonate with you. I'm not going to go too hard on that. And it really did change the way, like in my personal life, my boss freaked out at me because of some cleaning stuff. And I was just thinking, like, you know, one, he, he got mad. He expected me to make him happy. Whereas there's ways he can either fire me, right? Like, or he can hire a cleaning crew or he cleans. Those are the options. Um, or he, or compromises and says, okay, uh, I'll, Zev cleans once a week instead of every day. So like, I'll just deal with that because of the income he's providing. See, that's a way to compromise. But then I flipped it around and I was saying, why am I expecting my boss to make me happy? Like I was upset at my boss for all the stuff he was doing and I was thinking, It's in my control. I either leave my job to find a boss that won't yell at me or I just look at all the pros of my job and that will make me happy. I'll forget about my boss being upset because there's so many other great things or like other coping strategies like is this really going to affect me in a year? No, it won't. So then I'm like, ah, it's not a big deal. Anytime you're upset or someone's upset at you it's because they expect the other person to make them happy. This got me thinking, why don't we all just stay single forever, never have kids and never make friends because humans are naturally givers. If you choose love or joy with a partner, kids and friends, you don't need them to do anything that makes you happy because giving makes us happy. We are natural givers because that's the thing I I was thinking. I'm like, well, it's always another person upsetting us. And like, like, if we were just single forever, never even just isolated ourselves, wouldn't we be happy? incorrect like I said we are natural givers from day one we are giving like a mother literally gives a child to the world and we are always giving from then on out I'll let that sit with you because this is it makes so much sense like we love giving so much that is why we do have people in our life that make us upset is we love to give to them. Just always remember that. Giving makes you happy. Even in a situation like this. I So for example, my hiccups, I start to, if I eat too fast, I, I get the hiccups. My brother gets very angry because if I stopped hiccupping, he would be happier, technically. Now Harry can make choices to reframe it. He can either move houses or say nobody's getting hurt or let's say he gets headphones so he doesn't hear it These are all ways that he's going to be happier. And that's on him. Now, oh, side note before I go even further. The other day, I dropped my book at work. All the papers fly out. And most people would be like, ah, fuck, I can't stand that. Like, life sucks. But I was thinking, I'm actually glad the papers all fell out of my book. That... That reminds me that I'm at the job, which I'm so lucky to have, in a city that I love, with people that I love, with clients that I love. Like it, it just reminds me that that happened because of the great life I have. I wouldn't have even, if I didn't have the great life I had, I wouldn't even worry about those papers falling. So it really puts things in perspective. Now a practice David Hawkins mentions is to enthusiastically practice acceptance next time you go out. You'll see a change in the world. Because you are changing how you see the world when you just accept, accept, accept. This actually reminds me of Buddhist culture. I just recently learned this. That as humans, we always want things to either end or never end. (laughs) And Buddhists like to look right in the middle. They say when you want things to end or never end, you're suffering. That is suffering to a Buddhist. So then that's where the whole meditation practice in that religion comes out, where they just always are present. Always. And it reminds me of a saying I heard, which is, to want a positive experience is actually a negative experience. To accept a negative experience is a positive experience. And when I pretty much canceled out the words beforehand, I just narrowed it down to, when you want something, that's a negative experience. When you accept something, it's a positive experience. Theoretically. And that's where David Hawkins then goes on to say, practice your acceptance all the time. It will change your world, honestly. I want to see what time we're at here. How long have we been podcasting? 30 minutes? All right, time's up. I didn't even get through this book, but we will finish it. There's only a few notes here, but we will finish it next time. Yeah, here it's... We got a few more cool notes. I can't wait. So, folks, let go. <laughs> And I hope a lot of that resonates. Maybe listen to this again and take some notes, right? And discuss with friends. That's what I do. I like to discuss all this with my friends. One, you retain it way more. And two, it's fun because you get to hear someone else's perspective on the same content. I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you get on your way. This was an absolute blessing. Thank you so much to everyone listening. You go crush it. Apply this stuff. Shalom Aleichem, that's all from me.